book of Jeremiah, and we're working our way. We're past the halfway point, so that's a good thing. Um, we are. Uh, we have talked about a number of things. Jeremiah is a prophet. He's preaching to the tribes of Judah, the two tribes there in the south. The northern kingdom, Israel, has gone into captivity. The southern kingdom is down to, actually when we get to it today, they're down to their last king. Uh, the, the city of Jerusalem and the temple are about to be destroyed. And so what, Jer what God does is he gives Jeremiah a job. And he says, Jeremiah, what I want you to do, I want you to go into the, oh, you guys got it? I want you to go into the, the, the people, and I want you to preach a series of messages. And so he does. So he goes in and he starts preaching actually 12 messages, and we've talked about a number of those. Uh, in, in his preaching, he uses a lot of very, very practical uh, picture stories, if you will. One of them was the idea of, he said, the scarecrow. He said, your idols are like scarecrows. He said, you go in and, and you set them up, and you try to uh, think that they're going to do something for you, but really you take care of them. They don't do anything for you. And then he used the illustration of uh, underwear, or I used a T-shirt. And God said, go out and get you a, a new T-shirt, so to speak, and, and, and don't wash it. Put it on. Wear it around for a while. And then, Jeremiah, I want you to get off and put it on. And he does, and then God sends him back later and says, go back and put it on. And Jeremiah goes, God, do you have any idea what that thing looks like? I mean, nobody wears that. I know some of you do, but it's an illustration, all right? Um, <clears throat> nobody wears something like that. And God says, Jeremiah, I will take my people back, but you need to understand this is what I'm taking back. I brought them into this land. I gave them everything, and they have so soiled and stained themselves with all of the idols of the land that, Jeremiah, they're almost worthless, but I still love them and take them back. That's going to be important with what we talk about today. And God said, I'll take them back, but Jeremiah, I want you to understand what I'm taking them back. And then he tells a story about the idea of people who go through difficult times. And he said, the righteous man, he's like a tree. He's planted by, water, by rivers of water, and, and, and God does great things uh, with him because and when difficult times come and and, and the famine comes and storms come and everything, he's okay. He's okay because he's got some deep roots. And he said, the ungodly man, he said, he's like the guy that, he's like a bush in the desert. When the difficult times come, he's got no roots. So he dries up very, very quickly. And the storms really take a great impact on his life. And then we talked about the idea of the potter, where God told him to look at the potter and watch the potter. He said, Jeremiah, it doesn't matter what you think, the potter is working in the lives and the life to make that that vessel to what he wants and jeremiah i'm the potter and israel is my clay so i have a right to do with them what i want and then we talked about the jeremiah then god sent him to take a pot and, and i had a coffee cup and smash it in front of the people and explain to them this is what i'm going to do i'm going to scatter them abroad because they for 400 years have turned their backs on me and then last week we talked about the idea of the yoke, where God told him to make a yoke and to wear it and to go around and explain to the people that Babylon was going to become a yoke to them. And Babylon was really going to be a yoke and an oppressor to them in everything that happened. So <clears throat> we've gone through those different stories. We come now to a section in Jeremiah that actually is called Jeremiah's Song by, by some people. Um, it's a unique time. Let me paint 
the picture of what has happened first so that you understand um, exactly what's, what's, what's going on. We are at the, the, the king is, is Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the last king of, of Judah. When we, get to, when we get to chapter 32, which is one of the passages we're going to look at this morning, Zedekiah is in his 10th year, all right? So Zedekiah is in his 10th year in chapter 32. In his 11th year, Jerusalem falls. So we're really at the end of just before Babylon is going to come in and the walls are going to come down and the temple is going to be destroyed and the whole city is going to be desecrated. So we're within like the last year of that time frame. And so that's, that's important as we, as we wrestle with this today because what you're going to hear this morning is the last thing you'd expect to hear during a time like that. I mean, the people are in despair. Jeremiah's in prison because Jeremiah suggested that they just surrender to Babylon and live, and, and they looked at that as treason. It'd be like, it would be like one of our leaders today suggesting we just surrender to Syria. You know, we go, no, 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 you don't understand. In the same way, when Jeremiah looks at the people and says, look, Babylon's been outside the walls, just surrender to them and go into captivity, then in that situation, they looked at Jeremiah and said, that's treason. No one would ever say anything like that. So they put him in prison. So they have Jeremiah in prison, and he's in a guard prison, so he's still able to have somewhat of a ministry. So Jeremiah is doing that, and, and one of the things that is happening is in the area around him in Jerusalem, they're without bread. I mean, Babylon has surrounded the city, so they can't go out or come in. So whatever storehouse, whatever food they had in there was all they had. And they had already gone through all the bread. So actually, when it's all said and done, they're actually, historically we learn that they're, they actually turned to cannibalism at some point. That's how bad it's going to get. Um, and Jeremiah is in that scene at that time. So understand that's what we're, that's the picture we're painting, that that it is about as bad as it can get. It's going to get a little bit worse, but, but it, it's really bad at this point. So Jeremiah is going to come in and he's going to talk in a minute, but <clears throat> one of the key verses, I think, in this whole passage is this kind of springboard into where we're going. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 26, here's what he says. My sleep was pleasant to me. How can a guy be okay and sleep when things are that bad? How can a guy whose entire world, whose entire community, who all of his friends and everything else are about ready to die, about ready to go into captivity, the temple's about ready to be destroyed, the walls are going to come down, how can a guy go, I can rest at night? Because, let me ask something, when your world starts to cave in, what's one of the first things you start to lose? Sleep? You don't want to eat? You lose, you start, you start fretting at night, you can't get to sleep. So how is a guy able to sleep in those kinds of conditions? That's what we want to focus on this morning, because I think that's a great lesson in the chapters that we're going to look at. So with that in mind, Jeremiah, uh, we're going to go, uh, we're actually going to be in, in jump to the three chapters, but Jeremiah chapter 30, this is where I want to start. These are the words of the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. 
Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Every face turned deathly pale. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. Jeremiah says, let me tell you what the, the day is like right now. He said, everything is so bad right now. It's like men are actually in so much pain, they look like they're in labor. Now, guys, I understand none of us have had children. But there's a YouTube video you need to watch on two guys who actually tell their wife, you know, we can handle it. And they, they set up an experiment in which they actually attach electrodes to his stomach and everything else so that they experience the closest thing they can to childbirth. And they allow their wives in the room to watch it. I'm telling you, it is so much fun to watch this because the women, are, I mean, they're just rolling, laughing because these guys are like, you know, and they're like, well, that was only, that wasn't even a full contraction. That was like a partial one. And, and the guys are just, in, they're in tears. They're in so much pain. And of course, then when they get done, they apologize to their wives. But I mean, it's, anyway, he said, look, it's, that's what it's like. He said, guys are walking around. They're, 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 they're so hungry. Everything else. He said, they look like they're in labor. They're so miserable. And Jeremiah said, it's a bad time. Now, later, he's going to tell them why. He said, look, the reason you're experiencing this is because you haven't followed God. You haven't listened to God for 400 years. You've done your own thing. He brought you into the land. He gave you everything you needed, but you kept rejecting him. And you know what? So now it's time that you reap what you sow. Look, there's a principle here that we, got, we have to make sure we understand and embrace, and that's the idea that, you know what, we do reap what we sow. Um, Greg was going to throw out, because it didn't get labeled, he was going to throw out this half a flat of, of peppers. And I, had a, I wanted to do a test strip. I wanted to try a different way of planting and stuff. I said, hey, you know, he said, yeah, go ahead, take them. I don't, I'm just going to pitch them in a pile, because I can't sell them, because I don't know what they are. So I said, well, I just want to test and see what's going to happen. So I didn't know what I was getting. I didn't know if I was getting, like, habaneros or some nasty thing that I wouldn't eat or... I didn't know what was going to happen. I put it in a row, had no idea. You know how normally, how, how far apart are you supposed to put peppers? Anybody know? Huh? About a foot? Okay, these are about two inches apart. Dug a trench, put them in there, because I wanted to try it. I got nothing in it. I, you know, I just wanted to see what was going to happen. <clears throat> Turns out, those peppers back there in the crate, okay, that's what they are. That's the third crate that I brought to church. That's not counting the, the peppers we've eaten at home, okay? And they're a sweet pepper. They're, a, they're called, a, I think we figured out, they're called a, a giant Marconi. That's what they look like. They're sweeter than a bell pepper. And my wife and I were like, it, and it's like never ending. I mean, we went out and picked yesterday. We didn't even get to all of the plants that we have. I mean, that's how bad it was. So if you like can, see me. Um, I'm not picking them for you. You've got to pick your own. But uh, here's the thing. Even though I planted like half a flat of them, you know what I got? I got giant Marconi because they were giant Marconi plants. Is that, am I saying it right? Okay, yeah. Because that, that's what the plant was. Why? You always reap what you sow. And you know what else? You always reap more than you sow. You always reap more than you sow. 
And another principle of the harvest is the idea that the harvest is always slow in coming. These were planted back in May. And now it, it's like the perpetual garden. I'm, I'm looking forward to a freeze, personally. Because uh, at least, you know, I'll get my Saturday evenings free again. Uh, <clears throat> but I mean, why? Because you reap what you sow. That's what was happening with Israel. Israel was reaping what they sowed. And they had sown some things where they had gotten away from God, and now it was time for harvest. And harvest meant they were going to go into captivity. And God was going to spare them and bring them back, but they were going to go into captivity. They were going to reap what they sowed. Kids, listen to me. The reason we're so hard on you is because we know you reap what you sow. We know that as a kid, Lael ended up doing well in college in math. Why? Because he changed something at seventh grade. A teacher helped him change it, but he changed something. He decided to take math more serious. Something changed. And now, for whatever odd, berserk reason, he likes math. You know? It changed. <clears throat> Kids, you're reaping what you sow. You disrespect mom and dad now, you're going to have a real hard time later respecting other authority. You don't fulfill your God-given responsibilities now, you're going to have a really hard time fulfilling your God-given responsibilities later. You buck the rules now, chances are good you're going to buck the rules later. Why? You reap what you sow. But the harvest is slow in coming. Israel was able to thumb their nose at God for 400 years. For 400 years, Judah said, we'll have other gods. We'll make scarecrows gods. We'll put all kinds of gods up. It'll be okay. We got Jerusalem. God's not going to let anything happen to Jerusalem. So we don't have to pay that much attention to God. And then all of a sudden, it came harvest time. And at harvest time, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The walls are going to come down. People are actually going to walk past there and shake their head and go, this, this is Jerusalem that I heard so much about? This is a temple that I heard so much about? Really? It's in shambles. This is pathetic. Why? You reap what you sow. And Jeremiah said, it's, it's at a point right now where we're reaping what we're sowing. And yet, the thing that's amazing in this chapter, and that's why it's called, Jer uh, these chapters of why it's called Jeremiah's song, is Jeremiah doesn't end it there. Listen to what he goes on to say. Verses 8 and 9. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and their David their king, whom I will raise up for them. You know what he said? He said, look, guys, as bad as it is, you need to understand this. God still has not abandoned you. You will come back. And when you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the people coming back into Jerusalem. You see the temple being rebuilt. You see the walls of Jerusalem going back up. Why? Because God said, I'm not going to abandon you. Yes, you're going to reap what you sow, but I'm still there for you. Yes, you're going to pay a consequence. Just because you're paying consequence doesn't mean that I don't love you anymore. I don't care about you. No, it just means you reap what you sow. Like I say, that's why you know I've always told my kids, look, you know what? I still love you, and you're still grounded. You know? Well, I'm sorry. I'm glad you're sorry. I won't do it again. I'm glad you won't do it again. But you reap what you sow. And you know the rules. The rules said if you did this, this was the consequence. You did this, this is the consequence. Love you. 
but you reap what you sow. And that's what Jeremiah, and so kids, by the way, kids, this works both ways. So if you sow good things, what are you going to reap? Good things. Talk to the kid who has worked hard at school and worked really, really hard to study consistently all through high school, who goes off to college. Who goes off to college? He does okay. You know why? Because he learned how to study. Talk to a kid who thought school was a joke, didn't pay any attention to it, and watch him struggle at college. Watch the kids who were A students in, co in high school and didn't work at it because they didn't need to go off to college and all of a sudden realize, whoa, I'm not in high school anymore. You'll watch straight A students who didn't study because they were just naturally smart, go off to college and come back after a semester because they couldn't cut it. You know why? Because you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And it works both ways here. And God said, and Jeremiah was saying, look, okay, yes, you're going to reap what you sow, but you know what? God's still with you. And then he comes to where we're camping out for the rest of the day that I want to drive home. If you don't get anything else, I want you to hear it. Listen to this passage. We're going to zero in on one phrase and one verse here. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Is that where we're going? Um, my 31. Here's what it says. Whoop. Has got it? Got it? Okay. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, <coughs> I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you. And here's, our, here's the word we're camping out. Loving kindness. I've drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again. You will be real built. Over Israel again, you will take up your tambourines and go to dance with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. Farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go to Zion to the Lord our God. He said, Guys, understand this. God, even though you're in captivity, even though your world has collapsed around you, God is there. Notice what he says. I have drawn you with loving kindness. That word in the Hebrew language is a word that we call hesed. It is probably one of the most important Old Testament concepts that you can understand. <clears throat> hesed is translated mercy in the Old Testament. It's translating kindness in the Old Testament. It has this idea of loving loyalty. It has this idea that Christ uses it in the, in the Greek language a few times. Um, not a lot. Um, but um, you see it in passages in the Old Testament like, um, I desired mercy and not sacrifice. Here's what hesed is. Hesed means this. I have loved you and I am committed to you no matter what. Now, we're a non-denominational church, so we have a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds and beliefs in here. We have people here, when it comes to salvation, believe that you can lose your salvation. And they go to some verses and, and base on that. And, I, and I, I get it. I know where they're coming from. Um, we don't, that's not my personal belief. It's not our belief as a church. There are a lot of reasons for it, but let me explain to you. This is one right here. Hesed. It's used 150 times in the Old Testament. Hesed means this. I'm never going to abandon you. 
Hesed means, Israel, you are my people. I don't care if you look like this or I have to smash you and scatter you all abroad. Hesed says, you're still my people and I love you no matter what. Hesed says, yes, you reap what you sow, you're going to go into captivity, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm not giving up on you. Hesed says, you can, I'm going to send a Messiah and you can reject him and I will still call you my people. Hesed says, I'm there no matter what. Now listen, I can't stress enough how important this is that we understand it. Whatever you go through, Hesed says, God will continue to be there. When you're reaping what you sown, he's there. When, you, you know, when, when somebody else has made a bad decision and it's impacting your life, he's there. When your world turns upside down and your finances go south, he's there. When stuff happens that's just part of life and, and, and it looks like it's crumbling around you or the pressure is too great, Hesed says he's there. Hesed says there's nothing you can do that will make him love you any less. Nothing. And there's nothing you can do that will make him love you more. Why? Hesed says, I am lovingly loyal to you no matter what. Will I discipline you? Yep. Will you reap what you sow? Yep. Does it mean I will abandon you or turn my back on you? Nope. Why? Because I have drawn you with loving kindness, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Are you ready for this? Has said is the ultimate goal in any relationship that we have. That I have a has said kind of love for my wife. Nothing that she can do to make me love her more, there's nothing she can do to make me love her less. It's the ultimate in a relationship. That's the ultimate goal. Why? Because that's how God loves us. And I'm here to tell you this morning that even when their world was collapsing, that everything was coming apart, it was as depressing as it could possibly get, Jeremiah says, you know what? You know how I can get through it? You know how I can sleep at night? Because I know the Hesed of God says, he is with me through it all. That's how. That's how. And then he goes on to talk about a different time that's coming, a time even more future. And there's two aspects of this. One is a future for Israel. The other is a future for us. I want to focus on the future for us. Listen to what he says when he talks about the new covenant. Uh, next passage, guys. <coughs> oh, you don't have any more? Oh, no. Okay, here we go. I must have missed that in my notes. All right, here we are. Um, this is a Bible. We read this when our electronic versions go bad. Um, by the way, can I take a rabbit trail for a minute? You know me, I'm a technology guy. I love technology. I read an interesting article a couple of weeks ago 
about one of the problems with technology is we lose something when it comes to reading our Bibles. Because the thing about technology is this, you go directly to your passage. And that's great, because it saves time. But you know what you miss? When you're flipping through it to get to one, you go, oh, huh. You miss the exploratory aspect of it. And in some ways, it cripples us and hurts us rather than helps us. I'm not saying pitch it. I mean, if you think I'm getting rid of my iPad, forget it. Uh, I love that thing. But don't, don't neglect sometimes picking up a book. Even when I study, I, I do a lot of stuff online. I do a lot of stuff electronically and the commentaries and stuff like that. But I'll tell you what, to pick up a book. Kids, these are called books. Okay? Um, and, and they're great. So anyway, here we go. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Here's what it says um, in verse 31. He starts out by saying this. Behold, the days come, says the Lord. Well, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hit out of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that to them. Not that kind of covenant. Although I am a husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He goes on to say, they will teach them no more to their neighbor to say, no, the Lord, because the Lord says, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. And he goes on to talk about that new covenant and what it's like. But the focus is what he says right here when he says, I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. He says, there's coming a day. Now, again, there's two aspects. Of this. One's for Israel, one's for us. I'm focused on the one for us. He said, there's coming a day when the word of God is going to be written in your heart. There's coming a day when God's going to take his word and put it inside of you. And you will be driven, your motives will be from the inside out, not from the outside in. See, in the Old Covenant, they were supposed to do it with their heart, but they really did it with their head and their actions. And God said, no, 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 the New Covenant that I'm going to do, I'm going to write it in your heart. I'm going to put it inside of you. It's the same thing that Jesus said to his disciples when he said, when he looked at them and he said, I will send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who now when we put our faith and trust in Christ lives inside of us. He said, I'm going to put a new motive. So now you're going to do things driven from the inside out, not from the outside in. And he said, he goes on to say, and I will be their God. He said, it's going to be a new relationship between me and them. Because it's going to be, there's going to be a, a different relationship where they're going to want to please me. They're not going to serve me because out of fear. They're going to serve me because they love me. And then he says, and they will be my people. He said, I'm going to give them a new community. I'm going to give them a new group of people to work with. We would call that the church. So here's what God said. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take, and when a person puts their faith and trust in me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write my word in their heart. They're going to start to change from the inside out. Not from the outside in, from the inside out. And they're going to want to please me. And they're not going to have to walk it alone with just me. They're going to be able to walk with a group of people. We're all in it together. 
He calls this thing the new covenant. Now, most of you have never thought about this, but do you remember the Lord's Supper? Do you remember when Jesus takes the cup? What does he say? This is the new covenant in my blood. This is a way to establish what I talked about in Jeremiah. Where I will be in their heart, driving them from the inside out. I will be the one that they want to love and serve and please. And I will give them a group of people that when they go through difficult times, there are other people who can come alongside of them in a church kind of setting because they don't have to walk alone. I will give them flesh and blood people to walk through life with. A Christian life is not a solo journey. We do it in the context of community. And he said over and over again, that's what I'm going to do for them. And you and I are the recipients of something that Jeremiah and God talked about. Thousands of years ago, it was a time of despair and hopelessness and everything else. And God said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Why? Because of my hesed. Because of my mercy. Because of my loving loyalty. Because of my commitment to him. So two takeaways this morning. First takeaway is difficult times are part of life, folks. Okay? I mean, we, look, if you're alive, difficulty is going to be part of it. Um, some of you are struggling health-wise. Some of you financially. Some of you job-wise. Some of you, <coughs> um, you're going through a tough time. Marriage, kids, going through a tough time. Difficult is part of life. You can try to turn your world right side up, but most of the time, you've got to learn to live in an upside down world. Um, you can't change other people. You can't fix other people. All you can deal with is how you respond to other people. All you can worry about is how you're dealing with it. And let it grow in your life to develop character in your life. But we're Americans, so you know what? We don't want character. We want comfort. We don't, we don't, we're, let's be honest with ourselves. The, 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 you buy a car now, and your primary concern was what? How comfortable is it? Does it have heated seats? I used to think that that was the craziest thing in the world. Our new car has heated seats. They are wonderful. Um until you're in the summer and you hit the button by accident and realize, holy cow, that thing works. We want comfort. Have you ever thought about this? You know what? God's primary goal in our life is not comfort. God's primary goal in our life is character so that people will see Christ in us. And sometimes that can be comfortable and sometimes it doesn't. God didn't look at Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, I want to use you, so how can I make you comfortable? He said, Jeremiah, I want to use you, so I'm going to ask some tough stuff. It's not going to be easy, but Jeremiah, when it's all said and done, you're going to have honored me with your life. And people are going to, to remember you. And thousands of years later, people are going to talk about you and what you did and how you faithfully served me. Jeremiah, I'm more concerned about your character and my glory than your comfort. Difficulty is part of life. Whatever you are going through right now, I would love to come in and make it comfortable and give you heated seats, so to speak. But you know what? That just might not be in, in what God has planned. 
because God has a greater purpose and a greater plan in your life. But remember this, and this is the second takeaway. He'll never leave you. His Hesed says, as difficult as it is, I will walk through it with you. I will put my word in your heart. So when those difficult times come, you can claim some of those promises of God. I will drive you from the inside out. So when your world is crashed around, you can have a peace that the world stands back and goes, I don't get it. I will drive you from the inside out. Your, your goal will be, Lord, this isn't what I want, but this is what I'll accept because it's your plan. And you're in charge, not me. And it'll be a deal where you can walk up to somebody who in any other situation you would never, ever associate with. But they come to church with you and you're willing to share your heart and your prayer request with them. Think about it for a minute. Can you imagine any other setting other than food that would bring this group together? We got young, old, rich, poor, city people, country people, um, all different sizes, all different shapes, all different hair colors, some natural, some not. Um, you can go there where you want. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, but why? But yet, you know, what we have in, you know what we have in common? A faith and trust in Jesus Christ that says, you know what? Even though I may not be close to that person, I feel like I could walk up and share my heart and ask them to pray for me. And I can be sitting there talking to somebody and they tell me what they're going through and I say, you know what? I've never walked down the road that you're walking down right now but I know somebody in the fellowship who has. Would you allow me to share what you're going through and hook you two up and allow God to use you two to encourage, allow them to encourage you? And then I watch people develop these incredible relationships because of a struggle or a trial or a difficulty. And God's honored and they grow and it's this incredible thing. Why? Because they're living life in the context of a community. Because that's the new covenant. That's what it's all about. So if you're here this morning and you never put your faith and trust in Christ, man, you just don't know what you're missing. You go, ah, I've done the church thing. I know how to Okay, this ain't the church thing. If you haven't figured it out, we're a bunch of oddballs. Okay? But we're all together. We're all together in it. Um, we're all together in it. You know? We're all dysfunctional at some level. You just, some, some have different, yeah, we don't need the, yeah, now all the side comments, yeah, it's like, oh, another commentary going, you know, we're all in it together, all right? And if you're looking for a perfect pastor, go somewhere else, because I ain't it. And you're looking for somebody who's got their act all together and, and, and has mastered this whole Christian thing, well, then you better go to Christ, because that's the only one I know that got it right. Because if they're a human being, they're going to fail you some way, somehow. Because they they're, they're human, that's why. But you know what? God gave us this new covenant that allows us to be driven from the inside out, to love him with our whole heart, and to try to serve one another the best we can. And we call that thing a church. And I'll tell you what. I deal with people who go through difficulty and hardship with a church family, and people who go through difficulty and hardship without a church family. And I would never, you couldn't pay me enough money to go through something without my church family. I mean that. I mean that. 
I pray that you embrace and really understand this concept of Hesed. Because it is so central to who God is. So my prayer for you this week is that Jeremiah reminds us that difficulties are part of life. But we don't go through it alone. God can use our experiences to give us hope and a future no matter how difficult the time. He can give us a new relationship, a new family, and a new direction when we trust him like we should. He will be our God, and we will be his people. Let's pray. Lord, guide and direct us. Lord, there are a lot of heavy hearts this morning. There's people who are going through stuff that they haven't shared with anybody. But Lord, you know. Lord, would you remind them this morning that you're there? The Lord, even, it, it might be a result of their choices. It might be a result of reaping what they've sown. It might be a result of somebody else's choices. But Lord, it might just be a result of life. But Lord, whatever it is they're going through, 